Hello, welcome to the Revive for the Journey podcast, where we give you this week's message from Cove Church. We pray that it blesses you and helps you grow deeper in your journey with Christ. Enjoy. Well, hello, Cove Church. So great to be with all of you today as we continue our Table Talk series where we are exploring this truth, which is good things happen around tables. We've talked about the table of sacrifice. We've talked about the table of transformation. And today we come to this incredibly important table, the table of forgiveness. I think about uh, last fall. We were invited by the Cristobals, who were the coaches of the Duck football team. We were invited by them because they were part of the church to attend the Oregon State-Oregon game. And, and they said, Jessica, uh, Cristobal, said, why don't you come and, and watch the game in our suite? Now, this was unique for us in a lot of different ways. One, we don't spend tons of time watching football. It's not that we don't like football. We don't spend tons of time following it and watching it. And we certainly don't spend a ton, ton of time watching it from a suite somewhere doing so. It was like, this is a very new experience for us. And so I can recall Paul and I going to the stadium. We had these tickets that Jessica had given us. And all it said was to get on this elevator. And there was numbers on the tickets, but I couldn't figure out where I was supposed to go on the elevator. So we, we get into the elevator, and there's a lady who presses the buttons on the elevator. And I said, I said honestly, I said, I don't know uh, where, what floor I'm supposed to go to. I can't figure it out from what these tickets say. And she grabs the tickets from me, and she looks at them, and she says, oh, you're going to that floor. <laughs> she presses a button and everybody in the elevator does the same thing. They go, oh, you're going to that floor. It was that kind of thing. We're like, ah, we don't know. We're just, just going. And we went into this place. And it was the, the most amazing thing. I mean, there was a person there uh, who was helping them, who takes your code and asks, you know, what do you want to eat? And there's all kinds of hot food. And, and it was a beautiful spot and these cool chairs and an amazing view. And, and, and family and friends of, of the crystal balls were in this space and it was they were very very kind to us um, it was just the wildest experience because it was like I don't know if we belong here and thankfully after spending that time with them they did they were so kind to us they made us feel like it was okay for us to be there with them in that place ruined us for watching football by the way I don't know if I can watch it any other way than doing it that way that story and that experience to me I think in some ways can describe how we feel when we approach our table today, this table of forgiveness. I think for many of us, we start with the feeling of, I, I don't belong there at the table of forgiveness. I don't deserve to be at the table of forgiveness. I'm really not fit for the table of forgiveness. So to help with that, we're going to encounter an interaction at the table with a brave woman and a loving savior. And that encounter will in every way let us know what it looks like to join Jesus at the table of forgiveness. And the first thing I would point out is this. The table of forgiveness requires a courageous vulnerability. A courageous vulnerability. Let's start in the passage, Luke chapter 7. Let's read it together right where you are. Big voices, go. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. 
As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Let's start by acknowledging the guts of this woman, the grit, the courage. Jesus is having dinner at a Pharisee's house. Jesus is reclining at the Pharisee's table. Pharisees saw themselves and were seen as the most pious, the most religious, the closest people to God's perfection. And as such, they also became the most judgmental of everyone else, including Jesus. That's the house she just walked into. That's the table she just approached. And so this woman who lived a sinful life in that town, some would say she was a prostitute, Certainly someone who did not live what they would call a moral life, this woman whose reputation went before her and it wasn't good, that woman walks into a Pharisee's house and approaches Jesus, the rabbi from Galilee. That is a gutsy move. I don't know if you've ever been in a circumstance where you didn't feel like you were accepted, where you didn't feel like you're in the, in the in crowd. Well, that's what this was. I can remember in high school, a friend of mine was on the swim team. He said, Aaron, you got to come and join the swim team. It'll be, it'll be fun. Why don't you come join the swim team? So I said, okay. So I went after school to join, to, to you know, swim with the people. And so I, I hop into the, the first lane when, when you're swimming. Uh, they were all warming up, you know. And so there's all these lanes, they're all warming up. And they seemed like they warmed up for hours, like 80 or 90 miles probably of warm up. It seemed like they were warming up forever. But what I didn't know is in, on swim teams, there is, there's the fast lane and there's the slow lane. And it just goes in gradients between the fastest to the slowest in each of the lanes. And so the lane I hopped into was the fast lane. I didn't know that. So I started swimming, just warming up. And I, I didn't do a lot of swimming in my life, mostly just to keep from drowning. That's about how much I knew about swimming. But I start swimming and they're just passing me and I'm in their way all the time. Eventually someone says, hey, you got to move a lane over. You're not, uh, this isn't the right lane for you. So I move to the next lane. Those people are passing me as I'm swimming. They're passing me. They say, hey, Aaron, you got to move another lane over. So I move another one over. Over and over, this happens until I get in the farthest lane, the slowest lane, which is like kids in, in floaties, you know, and like inner tubes and, and, you know, the scuba gear and snorkels. And even those kids are faster than me. And eventually I could tell that they, if they had another lane, they could have pushed me to, they would have. You know, it would have just been me getting up and getting out of the pool and walking. I think that's probably where I would have made a bigger difference. I really didn't feel like I belonged. And they let me know that I was right to feel that way. This woman had the courage to walk into the lion's den of judgment because she knew that Jesus could bring her the healing of forgiveness. She knew that what was going on inside of her life was killing her and that Jesus could set her free and so in courageous vulnerability, she breaks every rule and she walks into a Pharisee's house. She breaks her bottle of perfume. She wets Jesus' feet with her tears. She touches a rabbi. You just don't do that. But she did because she knew she was dying and she knew she needed to be whole. 
And only forgiveness could do that. Here's the thing. That statement of knowing that we, we were dying and only forgiveness can make us whole, that statement is true for every person that walks this planet. But this woman was the only one courageous enough to admit it. That statement is true for every person that was in that room and in that Pharisee's house, but only she was courageous enough to admit it. She heroically was willing to admit her need so she could find her healing. Where many others, they, they just chose to pretend they had no need, even though they were actually dead inside. You know, there's this restaurant in Bend uh, where I grew up, Central Oregon, um, that's been there a long time. It's sort of a landmark in downtown Bend. It's called the Pine Tavern. And, uh, and what's unique, it's a beautiful location. It's on the river, and, and so there's a lot of great stuff about it. But what's really unique about it is that its dining room is actually built around these two giant ponderosa pine trees. They're right in the center of the dining room, and everything else, they go up through the ceiling. Everything else is built around them. Really, really cool, a, a really fun place to eat. What what's, people may not know is that the smaller of those two pine trees is dead. It died in 1983. It was killed by mountain pine beetles. It, it, it's dead. But because its architecture is, is centered around it, the dining room is centered around it, they've done all this work to preserve it, to make it okay. They actually cut off the top of it, and they've done all this stuff to seal it and to preserve it. But it is dead on the inside, completely. Yet the identity of that restaurant still revolves, in part, around that dead thing. This is what a lack of forgiveness wants to do in us. It wants us to build our lives around it. Saying to people, don't look at that dead place in me. Just, I'll just dress it up. I'll just, I'll just preserve it. I'll, I'll just work around it. I'll build around it. And I'll give the appearance to everyone around me that nothing's wrong. Everything's fine. But here's the truth. Jesus never works around sin. Jesus removes it. Some of us are living that way. We're, we're burdened, we're wounded, and, and we're tired of living with this cancer between us and God. Jesus calls us in that moment to do something courageous, to, to walk in and to actually join him at the table, admitting that we're sick and finding our way to the feet of the healer, the feet of Jesus. This is what we all must learn to do, knowing that religion will try to judge us when we do that. Yes, it will. Pharisees will say we aren't welcome, but Jesus will say, come to me, all of you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Find your way to me. That's what Jesus invites us to. That's what Jesus invites you to today. Because the table of forgiveness requires a courageous vulnerability. That's the first thing. Here's the second. The table of forgiveness requires an honest evaluation. Let's continue the passage. Big voices, go. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, 
I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. So Jesus here points out some kingdom of God physics to us. That the extent to which I know I've been forgiven by God matches the amount of love I show to God in return. It's like kingdom photosynthesis, you know, where sunlight and water and carbon dioxide come into a plant and in return it produces oxygen and energy in the form of sugar. For us, forgiveness comes into our lives and what comes out in return is love. Forgiveness in, love out, like a factory, like a love machine, if you will which is a great song, by the way. I'm just a love machine and I don't work for nobody but you. That's what's happening here. A kingdom love machine. That's what we get to be. What what it's saying to us is the more I understand I'm forgiven, the more I'm compelled to offer love to my forgiver. The deeper I go in awareness of my sin leads me to a higher expression of gratitude. Forgiveness in, love out. So how does that happen? How do we allow that to actually happen? How do I not get duped by a religious system that is all about appearances? It's all about looking right, about looking like I have it all together. How do we shatter that facade? Here's how we get honest. We say that this church, this community is a place where real people encounter the love of a real God. This place is a table of forgiveness. And we quit pretending that we're good. I remember uh, when we worked for the Salvation Army years ago, we did some ministry in, in some of the apartment complexes here in town. And we did ministry to children. And at one of those events, uh, there was lots of kids gathered. And one of them was this sweet little girl. I'll never forget her. her name was Cassandra. Cornrows, big brown eyes, little. But even though she was little, she had this voice that sounded like she'd been a smoker for like 90 years. She was, it was an amazing thing. And so after the event that we, we held, we gave cookies to the kids, Oreo cookies, as I recall. And Cassandra loved Oreo cookies, and so she ate a bunch of them. And in the process, she was just covered with Oreo cookie crumbs and frosting. It was, it was in her face. It was in her cornrows. It was in her eyebrows. It was everywhere. But she was going around to all the other kids, face covered with cookie crumbs and cookie frosting. And this was her. She'd go up to other kids and go this, hey, hey, you, you got cookies on your face. Let's go to the next kid. Hey, you over there. <laughs> you got cookies on your face. Look to the next kid, hey, you, you got cookies on your face. Over and over, she said this. I think of that, and I think of the fact that Jesus is always asking us to admit that we've got cookies on our face, too, and that he invites us to come to be cleaned up. Jesus invites us to run to him. So often we can go around pointing at others' problems, but Jesus says, what about you? 
See, here's the real devious downside of religion. It's the reason Jesus came against religious systems more than anything else. Religion wants to tell me that if I do certain things on this list and if I don't do certain things on this other list, then I won't need forgiveness. And the problem with those lists is they will invariably leave out some things that are really important to God and add some things that aren't. And they will consistently lead to the outcome of the greatest sin of all, pride. I'm finished with my list, God. I got it. I'm good. I'm healed. I'm so righteous. I've risen to a level of maturity no longer requiring your grace. And all of that is a lie. The enemy attempts to harm us in two ways. Telling us we're too bad to be forgiven or telling us we're too good to need forgiveness. The truth we see at this table was not just that a sinful woman came to it, but that everyone in that room needed to do the same, but they didn't. She was the only one honest enough to admit she needed to go to the table of forgiveness with Jesus to risk that vulnerable place of saying, I need you, God. Could we do the same? right here, right now, today, because the table of forgiveness requires an honest evaluation. That's the second thing, here's the last thing. The table of forgiveness requires an appropriate response. Let's finish out the passage, big voices, go. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house, you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other, the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I love this. Here's all these people judging this woman for how she didn't measure up to their particular set of scales. And Jesus just starts to point out all the ways they didn't measure up. <laughs> he says, you didn't wash my feet. You didn't welcome me with a kiss. You didn't put oil on my head and you certainly didn't love me. He points it all out to him. Jesus is telling everyone in the Pharisee's house that all you can see is where, where this woman didn't do what you thought she should do, but I'm here to show you how she actually did what you should have done. Saying, who's the bigger sinner now? Who's the one with, that's in trouble now? Who's the one that needs forgiveness now? I have a relative, someone I love. Currently would call himself an, an atheist, an agnostic. He lives in a, in a very tough neighborhood in a big city. And on a regular basis, he will walk, I don't know how many blocks it is, uh, maybe it's a mile, to a favorite burrito place 
and um, he'll get burritos there. But instead of just buying the one that he can eat, he will buy three or four burritos because he knows that on his return walk that he will encounter people that are sleeping on the, on the street. And he will know that some of those will be in need of food. And so on his way home, he will give those folks a burrito. Some days he will come home with two or three burritos because he didn't encounter anyone that day. Some days he comes home without any burritos because he gave them all away. I'm challenged by that because it makes me face my own sin. I can point out that, that his atheism is a problem, but what about my apathy? Who's the bigger sinner now? If, if we listen to the words of Paul, the answer to that question is always this. I'm the biggest sinner in the room. I'm the biggest sinner in the room. We often underestimate how much we owe God and overestimate how much God owes us. So what do we do? What do we do with that? Well, what we do is we ask God to show us our bill. Show us our debt. What do I owe? It's, it's what David asked in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Show me my bill, God. Show me how big my debt is so I can respond properly when you pay it. Show me the depth of my failure so I can understand the height of your love. Let my response to your grace be consistent with my actual need for it. Let great love emerge out of great forgiveness. The table of forgiveness requires an appropriate response. That's our response. I'll wrap up with this. James Garfield was a bright man. He was a lay preacher. He was a principal of a denominational college. They say he was ambidextrous and he could simultaneously write in Greek with one hand and Latin with the other. That's kind of amazing. In 1881, he was elected president of the United States. But after only six months in office, he was shot in the back with a revolver. He never lost consciousness in that whole event. The wound did not impact any vital organs. At the hospital, the doctor probed the wound with his little finger to try to remove the bullet, but he couldn't find it. So he, he tried a silver-tipped probe to do the same thing, but he still couldn't locate the bullet. They took Garfield back to Washington, D.C., Despite the summer heat, they, they tried to keep him comfortable, but he was growing very weak with this bullet inside him. And so teams of doctors would come and trying to identify and, and locate this bullet, and they'd be probing the wound over and over, excruciating, if you can imagine. Even in desperation, they asked Alexander Graham Bell, who was working on a little device called the telephone at the time, they asked, do you have any equipment you could try to use to locate this bullet? He came over, he tried to locate it with, with his equipment, he couldn't find the bullet. He sought it, he failed. 
The president hung on through July and through August, but in September, he finally died. Here's the thing. He didn't die from the damage of the bullet. He died from the infection that was caused by its continued presence. Unforgiven sin is an infection in our souls. And so Jesus invites us to the table of forgiveness. Could we have the courage to run to that table, to admit our need, to quit pretending? Could we respond to God's grace with a grateful love? And could we offer that invitation to one another? Let's go together that this place, our lives, this church is to constantly be a table of forgiveness where we say to each other, hey, I'm the biggest sinner in the room, but let's go to Jesus together. It's a place where each of us can freely admit our need and freely receive our healing. Let's not pretend. Let's not hide anymore. Let's run to Jesus. Let's run to the table of forgiveness. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. To stay connected with all things Cove Church, visit our website, covechurchpnw.com or on all social media platforms at Cove Church PNW. We'll see you next time.